Hello listeners, this is Matt from Uncanny Treks, and I want to take a moment to tell you about our brand new Patreon at patreon.com slash uncannytreks. On our Patreon, we offer lots of exclusive content in multiple tiers, including access to our brand new Patreon-exclusive podcast, X-Men 92 vs. Young Justice. On this podcast, we follow the same format as B5 vs. DS9, but with an entirely new focus on reliving the nostalgia of 90s X-Men animated series and comparing it to the fast-paced action of Young Justice. Both of these animated series have recently been renewed for new seasons, so we felt it was a great time to return to these two comic book-based properties. If you're interested in subscribing, please visit us at patreon.com slash uncannytreks, and you can always reach out to us on Twitter at uncannytreks. Enjoy the show, and as always... Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the world's most retro-futurist podcast. That's right. It's Legion of Superheroes versus Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We are part of Uncanny Tracks. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. How you doing tonight, Matt? I just got done watching Strange New Worlds, Bob, Ghost of Illyria. What an amazing episode. Very good episode, man. Very mm-hmm. good episode. Our Legion episode's not that bad, Bob. I mean, it's not the best episode, but just, just, just... Yeah. Actually, some weird weird similarities between both of, like, you know, body modification and history coming back to haunt you. But, um, yeah, no, definitely Strange New Worlds <laughs> really outshines Legion uh, this week. So we're talking about episode three of season one for both Legion and Strange New Worlds. The Legion episode is Legacy. It originally aired on the 7th of October, 2006. And uh, Ghost of Illyria originally aired on today, uh, May 19th, 2022. Matt, you want to walk us through the uh, A-plot and really the only plot for Legacy? So in the A-plot of Legacy, the richest girl in the galaxy, Alexis, and Superboy go on a date and bond over the weight of everyone else's expectations, while the rest of the Legion tangles with the scavengers who a jealous Brainiac has been tracking. Yeah, with the scavengers, a Jellius Brainiac 5 has been tracking. Yes. <laughs> um, so when in that opening scene, were you a little surprised that Alexis turned out to be a super rich girl instead of a super thief? Yeah, who is Alexis? Like, I didn't know who this was when I first saw her, but then by the end, you know, spoilers here, by the end of the episode, I'm like, this is like some alternate Lex Luthor, like ancestor, of, not ancestor. Uh, Descendant. Descendant of Lex Luthor, yes. Yeah, yeah, hence the, hence the money, right? Presumably LexCore or some future version of LexCore is still going strong a thousand years later, and that's why she's the richest girl in the galaxy. Yeah, but it didn't even hit me until she lost all her hair in that one, in that last scene. I was like, oh, yeah, that's supposed to be a Lex <laughs> Luthor person. Okay, gotcha, uh, and, Luthor. Yeah, in hindsight, it's it's kind of obvious with the uh, Alexis Lex, although, I yeah, I didn't put it together the first time I saw this a few years ago either. Um. And so, you know, to, we'll come back to Lexus and uh, Lex, but so we have uh, none of the Legionnaires read Brainiac 5's 150-page reports on the scavengers, although it does seem like we can give Superboy an out since he seems to be illiterate in the 30th century because he doesn't read, he's not able to read the tabloid front page with Alexis's face on it either. So he doesn't read like Interlac, which is the 30th century written language. Yeah, maybe reading is something the Legion is meant to like teach him. <laughs> I mean, he, he did go to what I can only assume is like a, a pretty shitty public school in Smallville. So, you know. Yeah, I think in the early Silver Age, we do see um, a picture of uh, of like teaching in the 30th century. 
And it looks like just as bad as uh, public schooling is in America currently, but it's just a robot doing the teaching instead. No, yeah, probably has some cool shaped desk or something. <laughs> so uh, you're you're seeing that Brainiac Five is totally thirsty for Superboy, right? No, I'm not. I'm not sold on that yet, Bob. Like the the petty jealousy, the him <laughs> the him getting really excited that they're going to get to patrol alone. None of this is uh, triggering anything for you? No, not really. I'm not feeling it just yet, Bob. Oh my God, I, I just don't. I don't know how how much more clear the <laughs> the. I it, again, it's like at the level where it's almost seems wrong to call it subtext. I mean, oh. it's not it's not hitting you over the face, but it's not exactly subtext either. <laughs> um, I guess speaking of catching things, Matt, did you catch who it was uh, whose bike um, Alexis stole? Yeah, that was the most tame Lobo I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I, this is the second time I've seen this episode. I saw it a few years ago, and I, I don't think I caught that it was Lobo that first time. At least I didn't remember it. It wasn't like full-on big-ass Lobo with like, you know, all the cigar and everything. It kind of reminded me a little bit of like the repackaged Lobo from the, uh, when DC tried to, was it Rebirth they did that? or uh, Yeah, it was yeah. It was like either late New 52, I think it was late New 52, so like in between the New 52 relaunch and the Rebirth relaunch, they did do like a, a Suaver Lobo. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, if the 90s had a face, Lobo would totally be my choice for that. Well, and it's weird because we had seen Lobo in the uh, Superman, the animated series, and while I don't think he's quite as like gnarly as comics Lobo, He's definitely closer to comic Slobo than like suave Lobo. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, he looks so relatively speaking respectable in this cartoon when he hasn't been that respectable in earlier cartoons. I like I had to, I had to go back and rewind it for a second just to make sure it was Lobo because mm -hmm. I, I mean I recognize the outfit to some degree, but the, they just didn't have any of the mannerisms or anything else to go along with it. <laughs> so, I think yeah, it was more of like I, it was more supposed to be just an Easter egg, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're showing your journalistic responsibility of that cuz I was just like Okay, I see a bike. I see a white-skinned guy with black hair and a jacket. I'm just going to assume that's Lobo. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not rewinding. <laughs> I think Lobo in the 70s, like, before they made him all gritty, I think he might have been closer to the suave Lobo Prince. I don't know. I haven't read a lot of Lobo. He's never mm. been my flavor. But I think that, that kind of suave Prince Lobo from the early 2010s might have been, like, a callback to, like, late 70s early 80s lobo I, although maybe i'm wrong yeah it didn't stick though so thank goodness yeah, for that yeah i don't know although you like it's amazing because like lobo was everywhere in the 90s everywhere and now he i feel like he's nowhere like i you hardly ever see lobo anymore yeah I, otherwise I, I forget he exists until i see him like show up on one of these cartoons that's about it yeah it's a, it's always an unpleasant feeling when you remember that Lo, lobo is a thing <laughs> So did you expect, given how like melodramatic um, Brainiac 5's arm getting blown off was, that the Legion was going to make a bigger deal of Superboy not taking Brainiac's call? I don't know, his arm grew right back, so I mean, I guess maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah, but like in the scene where they like shoot it with like the super dramatic music and like everybody looking horrified. Yeah. But yeah, when they when they actually have the confrontation, it's just like, no, everybody gets it. Brainiac's kind of annoying. He won't stop calling you. You know, it's right. Fun. And his arm just grows right back, like right there. So, no biggie. But yeah, these cartoons have no issue like destroying robots with violence. Between like this and that curb stomp to T.R. Morrow's face in Young Justice that we uh, we covered not too yeah, long ago, yeah, 
Like I'm seeing my share of like robo violence. It's <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that was even a few years later. Well, not that many years later than this. This was 2006, and Young Justice was probably what 2011. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So one thing I, I glossed over, but since you mentioned uh, the robots, did you know uh, what Alexis's robot manservant being named uh, Wodehouse was a reference to? No, but I was curious. I kept trying to put something together, but I don't, I don't know what that means. Do you remember Ask Jeeves? Yeah. Do you know what Jeeves is a reference to? I mean, it's like a butler, right, or something. Yeah, yeah. So there's like a there's like a butler comedy series from the I, I think the guy who wrote wrote like short stories and novels from like the 20s to the 60s or so. And it's like Jeeves and Wooster. And so Jeeves is the butler and Wooster is kind of like his airheaded, like rich British playboy that Jeeves sort of takes care of. Um, and so Jeeves, because of that, has been become like a shorthand for a butler. And then the author of those is P.G. Wodehouse. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so there's yeah. a tie in with the with the butler thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They're actually really funny. Like then there's good radio adaptations of them from the seventies. If you, I can send them to you if you ever want to listen. They're they're like they're I mean they're insubstantial but very funny. Okay, I probably won't take you up on that, but thanks for offering. <laughs> so so full of hate for uh, British uh, butler humor fiction. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so you uh, you didn't pick up on early that Alexis was Luther and, until she lost her hair. No, nah, I didn't even register until she lost her hair. <laughs> it's pretty <Yeah>. bad. <laughs> well, I, 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 just, I don't know. I just think it's kind of amusing, like, what this show manages, because, you know, there, I don't think it's, like, crazy to say that there is uh, there is something of a homoerotic subtext between, like, young Lex and Superboy, right, of, like, and Lex being really jealous. I mean, it, you know, it would depend on the actual issue or the writer, how much they might play it up or un unintentionally play it up. But like the tension is there, but it's kind of funny that the show gender swaps Lex into a young girl and then like plays it basically as, you know, a straight relationship. And then on the flip side, um, in the silver age, like Brainiac five Supergirl dated And that was like one of the big Legion romances, which obviously crisis uh, put an end to, although it was kind of on the wane even before crisis. And um, so what they do instead is that they gender swap it into like um, a same sex friendship between Brainy and Superman. Instead of having the overt relationship, they just have like the heavy, the heavy subtext of Brainy being very jealous and protective uh, of Superman. So I don't know. I just, I just thought all like those uh, gender swappings and uh, subtext were pretty interesting. Yeah, it really is weird how they've redone the Luther superman relationship by making him by essentially making lex luther a female but i'm still i'm still not sold on this brainy and soups thing like you're, you're you're i think you're pushing it with this one i really don't think i am i think <laughs> I, I think this is one of the 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 less hard reaches I, i've ever asked you to do for i think you're i think you're i think you're grasping at straws <laughs> the way the way that brainy must grasp at soup's dick i don't know <laughs> You, you could have just said his picture, like Wolverine looking at the yeah. picture of Scott and Gene. <laughs> Instead, yeah. you had to, said you had to make it gross. Yeah, I had to take it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe even gross, just explicit. Um, yeah. Just explicit. So do you have a uh, favorite non-Superboy Legionnaire this week, since I think the, char the character of the week will sur which surprise no one? Yeah, I, I don't, Bob, but I do want to ask a question about a character that is, was not Superboy. 
because sure, sure. Superboy pretty much dominated this whole episode. I mean, it was his yeah, thing. Yeah. What's up with the lightning flash on uh, Lightning Lad's eye? Like, is, are they going to ever explain that? Like, yeah, how... I think they will. Okay. At least they will give Lightning Lad's origin, which I think touches on that as well. Although it's hard for me to remember because it's been like five or so years. Like, he's got a lightning score on his eye, and it's just, it yeah, just yeah. bothers me. Okay. Yeah. They'll come back to it. They'll come back to it. I will say that, like, most of the Legionnaires tend to have their powers because they were born with them. Like, the, you know, whatever world they come from, that's, like, you know, just abilities people have. Like, that's true of Saturn Girl. That's true of Triplicate Girl. That's true of Phantom Girl. That's, to, to a certain extent, true of Brainiac 5, although Brainiac 5 is a lot smarter, I think, than most people on this planet. Um, but it's not true of either Lightning, um, Lightning Lad or of Bouncing Boy, who both have kind of more like accident origins for their powers. Although I don't think the uh, show ever bothers to give you Bouncing Boy's origin. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I, honestly, like Triplet Girl wasn't even in this episode, and neither was uh, the Wolf Dude. What is his name again? Timberwolf. Timberwolf, yeah. yeah. Timberwolf wasn't in it either. So there weren't too many yeah. to really choose from this week to begin with. I, I mean, I would just say I really enjoyed how, like, catty both Saturn Girl and Phantom Girl were about Alexis, you know, in both, like, envying her, but also, like, critiquing her style. I, th I was pretty amused by that. Oh, I will say this, though. Phantom Girl does not talk the way I expected her to. I figured she'd be how goth and stuff like that, you know, real, like, almost like Raven from Teen yeah. Titans. Yeah. Did no, not that's funny. That. That's funny. Um, I mean, this is a little bit of a spoiler to say, but she already sort of like she already sort of says it. Like, you know, she she implies that she's rich, and they'll they'll get in later in the cartoon that she's like the daughter of the president of the United uh, Planets. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. Um, and like traditionally, Phantom Girl isn't very like gothy, despite the name. Like she's you know very much kind of like a dark haired all American kind of Veronica type. Yeah, but um, in the young in Young Justice, where spoilers, Phantom Girl does show up. I was actually she's actually very heavily in the episode I was watching today. She actually does talk in a way I think you might find much more uh, fitting to the character. Well, mainly just her design, yeah, like the way her character looks. Yeah. Can't and judge they, a book by its cover, though. She can't shoot me doing that. <laughs> well, yeah, they kind of with this design, they kind of split the difference between her like older, kind of more like wholesome appearance. And like, you know, like the kind of stranger direction that you could take a character named Phantom Girl in. And then in like Young Justice, they go a lot further with like, you know, the kind of like more alien aspect of her. All right. I, I actually can't remember if Alexis comes back or not in the show. So we can keep that as a point of suspense. I can't. I want to say she doesn't, but I'm not totally sure that she doesn't. So she might be back. It's, it feels weird they set her up and then will not go back to her because she's kind of interesting. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, the Legion does have a lot of other villains, and season two goes in a very different direction from season one, and has a lot of new characters. So, although you know, we won't get to that till Strange New World season two comes out, no, so, so that'll be a long time away. But yeah, so if they don't get back to her in season one, odds are they won't get get to her in season two, just because it's a very different direction for the show. All right. Well, let's let's let's, let's open up Strange New Worlds, Bob. Let's let's talk about sure. that. Walk us through that uh, A-plot, Matt. So the landing party comes back from an Illyrian colony with a disease that basically makes people uh, of the crew the light junkie moths from the memes, causing number one to put the Enterprise in a darkened lockdown and deal with her Illyrian past. 
Did you appreciate the uh, light junkie moth uh, c- comparison, Matt? Yeah, that light junkies. That's what they are. Mm-hmm. Let me say, I dug, I dug that, Bob. And also, I want to say, I dug those jackets that they had in this episode. Yeah, yeah, they're very fashionable jackets. They, they somewhat recalled uh, the jackets they wear in the cage, you know? Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I like the way they look. Yeah. Stylish. Very stylish. You know, this episode starts off where they're being transported from the planet, several of the crew members, and there's some kind of ion field or something that disrupts the transport the, the, the transportation process. And I felt really bad for Mr. Kyle because the more I thought about it, like, that dude has, like, all those people's lives in his hands, and all he can really do is, like, go up and down with those buttons, those switches. <laughs> like, that's all he can do. <laughs> why, do you, why do you think uh, Why do you think Chief O'Brien looks so dead inside, Matt? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, like uh, five years on the Enterprise being the transporter chief. It really takes it out of you. Yeah, it would, it would freak me out to know that, like, I can potentially murder anyone that comes into that transporter. You know, it's just, uh, it's freaky. <laughs> Yeah, luckily he has a hemmer there to pull out a transporter miracle by you know rerouting the auxiliary power. Um, I also really enjoy like Hemmer's kind of authoritative snapping at his engineering staff. I mean, you would hate to actually work for that, but it's a, it's a really entertaining uh, visual thing. Yeah, he's kind of an asshole. Uh, same kind of thing when he him and a uh, him and, and Binga kind of have their tension later on in the episode, where uh, you know just. It, you get a feeling that Hemmer isn't exactly the like happy-go-lucky kind of guy. He's a lot more serious, a lot more, but seems very brilliant in what he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's keeping like the tradition of the miracle worker engineer going. Although, it did seem like he was more able to use his kind of you know directness or abruptness or rudeness in the second episode to like tease Uhura. Whereas in this episode, he just seems more leaned into kind of being grouchy, you know? Right. And it did hit me this episode, but this is the second chief engineer on two different enterprises that have been blind. Because Gordy LaForge and him, and, and him, uh, him are. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's a neat idea. It's, I, I, I like it. I mean, it's really cool that the actor, I think you mentioned this last week, but the actor playing Himmer is right. uh, blind. I, right. I need to look uh, that actor up. I didn't have time today, and he, he wasn't in the first episode enough where I took the time to like look the actor up, but I need to look the actor up and see if he's been in anything else. Um, I know most of these uh, actors haven't. They're, they're just so young. This is like basically their first major role for, I think, like, Nurse Chapel and Lieutenant Noonie and Singh and Chief and Chief Kyle. Like I think they're all pretty new. Yeah. So when it comes to characters, though, this episode focuses primarily on the story of Number One, and we get a huge piece of like backstory from her. Uh, what did you think of the reveal, Bob, that she is actually an augment? Okay. So this one actually didn't surprise me. Um, so Number One, like the. The paracanon backstory for number one is that she was a human that was raised by Illyrians, which is, I guess, the cover story she uses to get into Starfleet. Right. And I think that they developed that in 1989. There's a novel, Vulcan's Glory, which I haven't read, but it's written by D.C. Fontana, who I believe was Roddenberry's uh, secretary, but she also like had a really decisive role in creating like early Star Trek canon. She wrote 
some of the key episodes for the original series and the animated series that like did Spock's backstory. Uh huh. And so she wrote this novel, and it was supposed to be like the first adventure of Spike on or Spike, <laughs> the first adventure of Spock on the Enterprise with Pike and Number One. And I think DC Fontana is also the person who started the convention of Pike's not just calling her Number One because you know she's the first officer. He's also calling her Number One because her name is Una. Um, so she starts that, and I also, th I think, and I think DC Fontana starts the idea that she was a human raised by Illyrians who are a species that do genetic modification. And I, I guess Fontana felt like the kind of relatively cold manner that number one has in the cage needed, a, you know, some sort of explanation. So like Illyrian, like mental conditioning was supposed to be the explanation. Does that make sense? It does. And we see the Illyrians in Enterprise too, correct? Yeah, yeah. So as far as I know, the Illyrians were first mentioned in that novel. And then we see them in one episode of season three of Enterprise. It's actually a pretty cold episode. Like um, it's during the kind of like Dominion War ripoff arc of season three. And so um, Archer like finds an Illyrian ship and needs like technology from it. And so just like straight up like, uh, Space Jacks, the Illyrian ship, takes the technology he needs, and he leaves them with like a little bit of supplies. But like the implication is the the Illyrians are probably going to die. Um, so okay, it's, they just it's, they fought and abandoned them, right? If I remember correct, like I think I've yeah, seen yeah. some of this episode. Oh, yeah, they like abandoned their ship. Okay. Yeah, they abandoned yeah, their ship. Yeah. yeah, and like just leave it in space. Yeah. Yeah, so nice. and I think that was the first time we'd seen the, uh, the 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 first time Illyrians like come into the quote official canon, and they're humanoids, but they have like you know some sort of weird facial ridge, which you know shocking. Who yeah, Star Trek alien with a facial ridge? <laughs> um, but and then since then, I think there's been a couple more original series and discovery novels that have played with. Um, the number one as raised by Illyrians. So that's kind of how I knew, a, knew, a, knew of it. And honestly, like them switching it to number one, just being Illyrian, I think is good, right? It's a lot more elegant and smoother than this weird backstory of like, oh no, she was, she was a human raised by this race that does genetic modification, but she's not genetically modified. That, that was always kind of weird. Yeah, and it also adds more to what we're seeing with Strange New Worlds, where you have so many different crew members who have different varying backgrounds and you have that feeling of like inclusion with everyone. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, well, and it gives, it gives her a good sense of tension with Lieutenant Nooney and Singh, which in hindsight, maybe I should have seen this coming. It should have been pretty obvious, but I kind of assumed that they would take Lieutenant Nooney and Singh in a direction where she was an augment herself. But instead, they're kind of doing the natural thing of Una is the augment and, you know, Nuni and Singh is still working through her ambivalence and, you know, like the guilt over what her ancestor did and the bullying she's faced because of what her ancestor did. So I, actually, I mean, that's really clearly the right way to go with it. But for whatever reason, I wasn't smart enough to predict that's where the writers were going with it. Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. I figured being a descendant of Khan would be like, OK, you're definitely an augment, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it is kind of interesting, too, that there are descendants of Khan running around who aren't augments. Like, I'm sure that could be, you know, backstory for a couple future episodes, too. Yeah, and I will say it's also kind of cool because 
I think if we've talked about this, I think on uh, Babylon five versus Star Trek DS nine, our regular podcast, but the, the sort of inner, the sort of human and Federation prejudice against genetic modification or against augments, I think is an idea from DS nine. And so this is an interesting, um, an interesting use of it, right? Where we see it kind of, you know, we see Una experience the discrimination from it. Although it is in a way it's kind of depressing, right? Because they're clearly using it as an allegory for like racial prejudice or maybe like, you know, prejudice against people whose brains are wired a little differently. But we know that the Federation isn't going to overcome it anytime soon. Cause like a hundred years later in DS nine, like there's still this kind of, uh, you know, segment, you know, this deep policy and uh, deep suspicion of genetic modification. So on the one hand, it's a cool idea. On the other hand, it maybe it does make the, you know, the ensuing hundred years of no change a little depressing. That is extremely depressing to think about. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's very, uh, it's, it's an allegory for what's going on with, with, you know, racial tension here in, you know, the United States at least. Yeah. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And um, you know, that like, I, I thought that scene where like Pike uh, tells uh, Una that you know he's going to defend he's going to defend her he like he looks forward to having that conversation and then her reflecting on it in the log was was pretty sweet I enjoyed yeah that. that was an amazing scene and then she of course she pulled a Cisco at the end and you know deleted the log well Matt uh, to make the Cisco joke uh, I can live with it <laughs> good one good one Bob. <laughs> Oh man! Should so we, let, uh, let's, talk, let's talk about some other really cool things though. First, with uh, with yeah, yeah. with number one, uh, at one point she does rip her uniform open, and you know we were both feeling the thirst when we heard that rip, Bob. But then there was that yeah, there, was, there, there was that disappointment though. You know, just... we we go from uh, racism watch to thirst watch. That's yeah. how, that's how we do it here on Legion versus Strange New Worlds. <laughs> she, I mean, I was like, holy shit, she's gonna rip her uniform off. No, no, she didn't. She just yeah. Yeah. I, I do hope whoever came up with the idea that like, oh, the disease is going to be like a light disease and it's going to make all of our hot characters like rip their shirts and just throw themselves at sources of light. Like that person deserved the rest of the day off after they came up with that idea. It was, yeah, it was a great I, idea. I, I like agree. The, and, th and this needs to be like, they need to do the same thing in lower decks, but with like, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. but, but like, yeah, like with everybody like, comes back. Yes. <laughs> They'll be brilliant if they would do that, please. Oh, yeah. No, I, I would love to see, like, um, both uh, Boimler and Marin are, like, ripping their uniforms, <laughs> absorbing the light, and then after yeah. they're cured, looking at each other awkwardly for the next few episodes. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. Boimler, yeah, like, legit, like, sitting down, like, his asshole on a light bulb. Like, <laughs> just, <laughs> just disturbing, you know? They already did that one scene that was, like, super disturbing that, like, you know, broke the Trek internet at one point, but now, now just imagine like Boimler, like trying to like shove a light bulb up his ass. Uh, was, that, was that the one where he was like in bondage gear? No, the one where he was like spread Eagle, uh, the, the oh, hollow, yeah. the hollow deck episode with all the different yeah, hollow yeah. simulations. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. No, that's good stuff. That's good but, stuff. And we see go, a lot of go, other go, cool, cool little it, things with the light disease. Like we see, um, uh, we see Himmer like transporting the mantle into the transporter room, which is a really neat image. And then we see Noonie and Singh like trying to blow the warp core. So, you know, it was a good excuse for a lot of neat visuals. Yeah. Did the Enterprise lockdown make you nostalgic for like the COVID lockdown, Bob? Uh, not really, no, man, because that was kind of <laughs> miserable. <laughs> um, like, you know, if I 
I, I, I haven't had a roommates for the first time in my life for the past couple of years. And so it, it, it was actually pretty miserable. If I hadn't uh, had my boy Alan to hang out with, uh, God, I, I, it would have been bad, man. No. <laughs> and I don't even like people, but like that, that was just too much. <laughs> well, then you probably appreciate the cool crew quarters, Bob, on the Enterprise. Uh, we get to see Uhura's like quarters. I guess she shares with several other officers, which to me would probably be kind of annoying. But then you find out they have this like awesome ass like door that's on their bed. So they can just go lay down and watch TV or do whatever they want and then like slide the door up and be by themselves. Yeah, presumably they also have that in the hallways of Lower Decks, but we've never seen it. Although I kind of <laughs> like the visual that people in Lower Decks are just sleeping in a hallway with like their bunk open to the hall. Like that, that's always sort of amused me. <laughs> that's really be strange. I, I swear, I swear, man, if I uh, didn't have like a, an absurd collection of books and a cat, I would be totally fine. Like going into one of those like cubby living arrangements, you know? I probably could too. Like I wouldn't mind just having it at work. Just be there. You're like, okay, it's going to go to sleep now. (laughs) Yeah. Save a lot of money. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I have an insanely good rental agreement going on right now, but whenever it ends as all things must like, and I'm thrown back on the insanity of the Seattle housing market, like, uh, (laughs) you know, like, oh man, it's like, could I just get a cubby with a door? That would be great. It'd be two thousand dollars a month. <laughs> hey man, that would be a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a very good deal. Uh, speaking of layouts, I really did enjoy that we see like the expanded sick bay for the crisis has like a two floor layout. That was really sick. Yeah, we got some really good shots of the interior of the Enterprise in this. Uh, the engine room too looks great in this. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, this episode was a good good excuse to show you a lot of parts of the ship, right? Uh, going back to characters and stuff, let's talk about Mbinga for a second. We find out that he keeps his kid in the transport buffer. His child has, like, I guess some kind of incurable disease, so instead of, like, you know, letting her die or whatever, uh, he puts her in the transport buffer so her molecules can just be, you know, floating around until he can figure out a way to cure her. Uh, it was kind of sad. I felt kind of yeah. bad for him. I thought it was kind of, I mean, it, it gives. It gives Binga some, you know, a really good story kind of to, to a, a supporting arc there. But isn't this the same thing that happened to Scotty in like the next generation? <laughs> or am I just yeah, it making is. This up? It is. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you're As right. I was watching, I was like, I feel like I've heard this before. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Scotty was stuck in the buffer. I think they maybe do something like this on Enterprise too, but I can't remember the details. But yeah, it's a, it's a great idea. It's a it's a kind of cool little extra character for the show to come back to, and yeah, I I, I liked it a lot. Um, I kind of wish uh, he would let Nurse Chapel in on the secret. I I I could imagine I could imagine amusing scenarios uh, with Nurse Chapel knowing. But yeah, yeah, no, it, it's a really neat idea. Um, I'm I really said I, before I really like the actor playing uh, Mabinga, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. All right. Anything else about this episode, Bob? Uh, a couple other things. I, I wanted to shout out how much I liked the shot of the darkened Enterprise. That was a really good shot. Um, oh, and on the Mabinga front, you made the point that they were kind of playing up Mabinga and Himmer tension, which I, I just like as a general story thing. Like, it sounds fun for the engineer and the, and the chief medical officer to dislike each other. 
although we do it did feel it did feel a little abrupt and you know we get the kind of reason for it later is that obviously Mabinga is paranoid about him or finding out about his daughter but you know like i if they could keep that tension going that could be fun i would i wouldn't be opposed to that do you think uh number one is going to be more of like a mentor for uh Noonien Singh or do you think there's going to be continued tension there I think I would bet more on tension than mentorship, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of I, I appreciate that they're doing that in this show and that they're not having everybody just get along and everything's great. They're they're building some some tension between the main crew. Yeah, because like on Discovery, it feels like it oscillates between uh, everybody gets along, everything's great, and then uh, someone is overwhelmed. They're totally overwhelmed, but you know it's not really anybody's fault. But they're just really testy because they're overwhelmed. They're gonna and cry. That's, I, yeah, and, well, yes. I mean, it's discovery. They're always going to cry. <laughs> um, so, yeah. like, to, to actually have, like, you know, human-seeming resentments among the crew is, uh, or I shouldn't say that because it's speciesist, but, you know, to have, like, sentient resentments among the crew is a nice upgrade, I think. Um, I A couple other small details. Um, I thought the gimmick of this episode might be to make Himmer immune to the light disease because of his blindness. Uh, but they they didn't go that route, which is probably for the best. And like him really wanting to feel the mantle glow on his skin and nearly killing himself to do it, that was a really neat scene. I'm glad they went that way. Yeah, I thought the same thing too when I saw him in the transport room. I thought he was like saving the day. Like, yeah, I thought he was, yeah. he was he was coming up with a solution, but no, really, he was like making things way worse. He's trying to rip the mantle <laughs> out of the planet so that he can be close to it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was great. And this was also a nice version of, like, the, you know, the everybody on the ship gets a disease and acts out of character. It was like, you know, it was like a nice version of that because it was like, on one hand, people were, you know, stripping off their clothes, but they weren't getting horny like they do with that disease in Enterprise and or that disease in the original series and Next Generation. So it was it was a neat little variant on the disease makes the crew behave strangely episode. Yeah, this was this was a much better the naked now. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so Matt, you you didn't see the homoeroticism between uh, Superboy and Brainiac Five, but there was some homoeroticism that you did see. Oh yeah, I almost read about that uh, on the planet. I, we we kind of completely skimmed over the whole Pike and Spock thing because it's yeah it's the second it's it's the B plot. It's it, they're they're stranded on the planet. They do get rescued, and they you know end of you story. do get a great. You do get a great Spock line. I'm arming us with knowledge. But but at one point, they're both laying on the ground together, and it was just kind of a... It's almost like they're holding each other. <laughs> if, I were, if I were Jim Kirk, I would be very jealous. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, there's there's definitely what, something going on there. <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if, like, the payoff of, like, Spike's... Or Spike, I keep doing that. You're stuck on Spike. <laughs> if the... if Well... I, it sounds like it's because I'm shipping Spock and Pike, which I, I, I didn't consciously realize. I was oh, you are, about. Bob. You've created one of those, like, relationship things. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even mean the to, Sp man. I swear to God. Like, uh... <laughs> but I was... Like, uh, what is it? Uh, not... Uh, J-Law and... J-Lo and somebody. Who who was it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got a... Jacote or... No. <laughs> it's not Jacote. <laughs> No, Bob, not no, no, no. Jane, Jane, no, Janeway and Chicote. Like, Chico oh yeah, oh, oh Chicote. Gotcha. Yeah. I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking of like uh, Brad Bradgelina. Was that one? Yeah, one point? yeah, 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 something like one. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Well, so I, I actually do think it would be hilarious if the reason like Tipring and Spock's relationship goes sour is not like Nurse Chapel or Noonie and Singh or number one. It's in fact that she just tells Pike, nope, he spends too much time with you. I know there's something going on there. <laughs> I'm not having it. <laughs> that would be very funny to me. We got to get t-shirts made with like Spock and Pike on it. This is Spike. They're like cuddled <laughs> up yeah, with each brother. other. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. Although if I were Lieutenant Jim Kirk, I would be uh, very jealous. Oh. Um, one last thing. I just wanted to say that the Illyrians uh, philosophy of like modifying themselves rather than terraforming the worlds they visit uh, is very reminiscent of a, a really good uh, science fiction novella by Becky Chambers to be taught a fortunate. It's a, it's worth a read. Okay, yeah, to where, like, they adapt themselves to the environment instead of just, you know, making the environment work for them. Yeah, yeah totally, totally. So Smart I don't think stuff. there's... Yeah, very, very. I don't think there's going to be any great suspense, Matt, but should we uh, hit the people with the character in the episode of the week? Yeah, character of the week, Bob, goes to number one. This was her episode. A lot yeah. of great stuff. Yeah, such such good stuff, man. Such good stuff. Uh, re really happy they've uh, they're developing her, and uh, yeah, it was great to see more uh, development of him or two. We get a better sense of him in this episode than in prior ones. So, uh, you know, just good stuff all around. Yeah, an episode of the week, Ghost of Illyria. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, Legion. I'm sorry you didn't have a chance this week. It's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's like X Men versus Young Justice. It's just you know it's. Maybe not as a fairly weighted a comparison as our Babylon 5 versus DS9 show. I'm just saying, Stranger Worlds will put out a shitty episode. It, it'll happen. It will happen. It's just... I mean, they're only putting out 10, man. Could, could it be <laughs> that they just won't miss? Yeah. This, I don't think that I've ever watched a show that didn't miss at least one episode that this was weak. But... I mean, I remember... I don't think I thought any episodes of Discovery Season 1 were bad. I just didn't love some of the overall plot directions, if that made sense. Yeah, but I mean, if you were comparing Discovery to something else, I think, you know, you would, it would be, I'm sorry, it would be easier to, like, say something like that. But yeah, you're not really, you yeah. weren't really comparing Discovery to anything at the time, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's true, that's true. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Legion of Superheroes versus Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We are part of Uncanny Treks. Find us on Patreon. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. We are shipping Spike. We'll see you next time, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>